You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey guys, how you doing today? We are back for podcast three. And Exciting. with us today, we have a very special guest, Giovanna Bigart, the co-head coach of BTB Basketball hey. in the Ontario Scholastic hey. Basketball Association. And with me, as usual, is the self-proclaimed sport doctor, Gregory Euroshadis. Round of applause, round of applause. Uh, not so much. I, I need no applause. Oh, come on. <laughs> so the reason why we brought Javon in today is the uh, announcement of the BioSteel All-Canadian Game, which will be held next month on April 10th. The event will feature the top 24 male athletes born in 1997 or later who are either Canadian-born or enrolled in a Canadian institution. The top 24 will come to Toronto to work with Canadian coaches and trainers in a series of events, including on- and off-court training, community outreach, skills competitions, and the All-Star Game. It's truly a Canadian event. You know, all provinces and territories will be represented either with a seat on the selection committee or through athlete, coach, high-performance staff participation. All the provinces? From uh, all provinces and territories, Gregory. I'd like to know who's there from PEI. The the silky smooth sharpshooter from the Yukon. <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> so we're gonna start this off with a little uh, question for you, Javon. Uh, you know, being part of you know amateur high school basketball in Toronto, mm-hmm. can you talk about the tournament? Or you know, are there any players on your team involved? Or are there any players in general that we should keep an eye out for? Um, so with the BioSteel Classic, um, it's a very, uh, it's an elite level competition. Right. Uh, it's the top uh, prospects coming out of Canada, um, whether they play in the States right now at a prep school or they play in a prep school in uh, Canada. Um, I was looking at a few of the, uh, the participants in this uh, game that's going on and uh, our team has probably played against 11 of them. Really? Um, yeah. So I've seen eleven of these guys in action firsthand within the last calendar year. That so means a lot from a lot of players from the GTA, then. Exactly. So I'm looking at this list, and I can tell you that, like, of the eleven players, well, obviously eleven players that I've seen, um, all of them are in the GT are from the GTA. So we look at a guy like Nikhil Alexander Walker. He's from the GTA right now. He plays. Uh, in the in the states, um, but he's playing for uh, the Canada Elite uh, Rep Team, uh, and they obviously play in the CYBL. They run the CYBL, so he plays in that league. That's the summer league. Um, we actually played them two weekends ago. Um, lost to them by 20. Our grade 12s teams did, but uh, when we were playing them, we held them. We we're actually beating them at the half, uh, 31 to 30. Um, but yeah, no, he's a talent. He's a uh, you know high flyer. Five tool guy can shoot the ball, athletic, speed, quick, all of that. Um, he plays guard, so you probably play about two guard or three, uh, a small forward. 
Well, it's a great thing about this era of basketball because, you know, you used to have that back in the day, I can't define his position. Is he a one guard? Is he a two guard? You're looking at a guy like Malik Monk, for example, coming in the draft this year who doesn't have really a defined position. He's an undersized two. But Malik Monk wouldn't be a top five player five years ago in the NBA draft with mm. the development of the game, spacing the floor. You know, there's an opportunity for guys who are not necessarily skill-making undersized twos, but they can still carve a niche mm -hmm. in the NBA, like the Lou Williams types, for example. Do we? Do yeah, you, you see any of those? Um, are there any real standout players in this game? I mean, you mentioned one just in now. The, in the prep game? Yeah. Any players that you kind of have on your radar that could make a splash in the NCAA on a, on a top Division One school? This upcoming year? Um, so for this draft class, um, I can't really speak about uh, the guys who don't play for us. Um, we recently got our first uh, a player on our team got a D1 offer. First player from our organization to actually get a D1 offer, Cordell Vieira. He's going to FIU, Florida International University, this upcoming September. Um, and with his situation, uh, the school he's going to is a mid-major. Um, and pretty much uh, when we're talking with the coaches, the coaches are saying, yeah, you have a chance to start for us next year. But it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a grind. You're going to have to you know, work for everything. Um, so him coming up next year, uh, you know, he has a shot. He has a shot to start. He has a shot to play uh, significant minutes. So on that note, maybe you could talk a little about the current landscape of Toronto high school basketball mm -hmm. regarding the level of play. Exactly. Um, I mean, you mentioned that you played a team from the south. I know there's a lot of these prep schools uh, that a lot of our talent is getting is getting uh, funneled out to. Are are we fielding competitive high school teams in relation to the United States right now? Like, will we be seeing kids, you know, from Canada going to the states and being involved with the prep team, or do you think the OSBA will create that sort of empty vessel for these players to actually have a high level? lead to compete in so i think the thing that we have to understand as spectators and people on the outside looking in is that canada basketball is actually evolving um at the amateur high school level so i would say as far as five years ago there might have been two prep teams in the country mm. you know athlete institute bill crothers orangeville mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but beyond that there was nothing um, you'd find a lot of top-tier Canadian talent making their way south of the border. Yeah. Um, going to prep schools down there. Uh, and in the States, there's over 300 D1 schools. So that means there's over, I don't know, 1,000 prep schools down there. Like every day, I'm hearing of new prep schools who I've never heard of, but this player is coming out of here, that player is coming out of there. And uh, it's amazing. So back to the Canada side. Um, over the past five years, prep schools have been popping up all over the GTA, all over Canada. Um, and what makes a prep school a prep school instead of a regular high school uh, is just a focus on basketball from the beginning of the year to the end of the season. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even earlier than that, like all the way into August. So, you know, you'd find like the high school basketball scene, which formerly was littered with like a lot of good talent. That talent, that talent pool is now being shifted to prep school because guys want to go down south to play D1 basketball. Guys want to, you know... Uh, fulfill their NBA dreams and try and go as far as possible, whether it is the NBA or whether it's international ball or whether it's, you know, let me just get a good education for free. Uh, whatever it is, uh, guys are going the prep route. So uh, when I look at my team, uh, last year was our first, our inaugural season as a prep team. 
Um, and we play out of uh, John Polani Collegiate Institute uh, right there at Allen Road and mm -hmm. Lawrence West. Mm -hmm. um, and that year, you know, we had a pretty good team. Um, we recruited pretty well throughout uh, the GTA. We probably had two kids. We had three kids from Nova Scotia. Um, really? Huh. Yeah. So we recruited from, you know, not all corners of Canada, but like pretty far out there. Um, and also a lot of local talent. So on our prep team last year, there was only one kid who actually went to that school before we started the program. And every other kid who was on that prep team and our roster was probably about 15 deep, mm -hmm. um, came from other schools. So the talent pool is becoming uh, funneled into prep schools that are being that are popping up all over the GTA. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, go on. And are, are the prep programs affiliated usually with an outside of school uh, AAU program? For the most part. For the most part, for sure. So for us, our outside of school AAU program would be uh, bigger than basketball. Uh, and that's been going. I've been a part of it since 2013, so going on my fourth year now. Um, and then we actually started the BTB prep out of John Polanyi last year. But because of like the conflict of interest in terms of, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. what's the difference between your summer team and your high school team? Yeah. We just had a little rebranding. So uh, we changed our prep team from uh, bigger than basketball prep to Toronto Basketball Academy. How so. is the relationship though with high schools and the OSBA? Like, are they willing to create like a space for them to play? Like, how does that relationship work? So just to correct you, last year we were in the OSBA. Right. Um, we didn't uh, renew our uh, position in that league this year. So this year we're in the uh, new National Preparatory Association. Okay, my apologies. No, that's okay. <clears throat> and uh, that uh, league was created by North Pole Hoops, which is a uh, amateur canadian basketball incredible website media not conglomerate but organization and they cover they do great jobs scouting and analyzing and showcasing canadian high school basketball as well as college basketball and uh, obviously the nba um so we're in that league this year um and yeah so before last year the 20 15-16 season was the inaugural season of the Ontario Scholastic Basketball Association, which is the prep team that runs Ontario-wide. So that had teams from Hamilton all the way to, I think, uh, so it was, there was eight teams, seven teams last year. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, as far east as Toronto, pretty much, and as far west as Hamilton. So who, and who puts on these events, these tournaments? Um, so for the OSBA, uh, it would be... Uh, the BioSteel guys and the Athlete Institute guys. Um, so there's a few key names that uh, you should probably know about. So Jesse Tipping is the guy who owns the actual Athlete Institute. Um, and the general manager of that would be, uh, you guys obviously know Tyler Ennis, right? Yeah, so sorry. So his sorry. father. But Athlete Institute is the, the, I guess, the school or the organization that thought Maker was playing with. Them. Exactly. Out in Orangeville. So, right. Exactly. So it's like one big conglomerate where like I think they're trying to do like some big uh, you know, basketball takeover at the amateur level where they have the two prep teams, they have the league, they have the product, the BioSteel product, um, and then they have they have an abundance of cash right now. So they obviously sponsored the Raptors practice facilities. So the Raptors practice at the BioSteel Center, so, um, which is on, so uh, on that grounds. On that note then, right, because we've come back now, BioSteel Center, the BioSteel All-Canadian Game. You know, I... I can't help, Jovan, but but wonder, and this relates to the AAU ball as well, and it's one of the problems I have, right? Is this just 
a brand promotion thing, right? I mean, or how much of this is corporate interest? Is it about and, the kids or is it about the money? Exactly, right? And thank you for putting it so directly. And that and that's where I'm wondering: is there anyone there that's looking out for the best interest of the kid? Because of course you want to develop the athlete, but as we all know, part of that must be the character of the young person. Exactly. Um, I think every organization goes about it differently. I think when it comes to BioSteel and Athlete Institute, I think ultimately they want to expand their brand as much as possible, get as much economic value for the things that they're investing in it right now. So it might not be apparent right now, but down the road, when you got two guys who played for them, who got drafted in the first round last year mm. and are making ways in the NBA right now, so Jamal Murray, uh, Thon Maker getting drafted 7th and 10th overall, respectively. Uh, when you have guys like that who represent you, um, ultimately, uh, you're looking for something in return, mm -hmm. right? So you gave those guys an opportunity to play, train, excel at the level that they did when they were in high school, and now they're moving on to the next level. Like, okay, so now you guys have made it this far. You guys are multimillionaires. You know, come back, represent us. So ultimately, you know, you're investing something, but you expect return on that investment. They're it's kind not of trailblazers. Though, exactly, the organization. they are for sure. So, you know, it's not so cynical in that regard, but it's just a fact of the matter, right? Mm -hmm, like we're mm -hmm. pushing you guys. You guys are gonna go far. You guys are gonna go. You know, you guys have made the NBA or playing at the highest level. Um, now you guys are gonna be our. Sp now you guys are gonna be our spokesperson, our sponsor for our products. So, Tyler Ennis, uh, uh, Jamal Murray, Andrew Andrew Wiggins never played for Athlete Institute. But he's a spokesperson for BioSteel. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a Canadian product. And I guess they're doing right by getting a whole bunch of Canadian talent to represent yep. them. Yep. Um, obviously, Marcus Stroman, he's not Canadian, but he does play for the Blue Jays. He's also uh, a sponsor of, or they sponsor him. So, so bringing it back to the actual team, um, we were talking beforehand. He sort of mentioned that, you know, Coach Adil Saibzada, who's currently the assistant coach for Ryerson's, men's basketball team exactly. left BTB and right now it's coaching by assembly. There's four teams who are four coaches rather who are all co-coaches for four separate teams or three separate teams rather. Can you talk about that dynamic of having to be a co-coach and working with three other coaches, you know, trying to create this program for all these kids? For sure. So uh, Adil never left the program. He just picked up a side gig, I'd say. Right, right. So He's kind of having overseeing the sort of project. Exactly. So you know, I think one of his ultimate goals is to coach at the highest level he could possibly coach at. So every opportunity he has to, you know, reach out, uh, work in certain levels, he's going to obviously pursue those, uh, those paths. So, you know, obviously getting involved with Coach Roy Rana, who's the, the Canada national under 17 or under 18 men's head coach. Right. So obviously, you know, making connections with him and then getting the opportunity to coach with him and learn from him. Um, you can't take, you can't, you know, pass that opportunity up. So, you know, the agreement that uh, I assume or that I've witnessed that they had was, yeah, you know, you're still going to run the prep program. You're still going to be involved at John Polanyi. You're still going to, you know, travel on all the trips, do all the coaching, run all the games. Um, but you're also going to come to Ryerson's practice as much as possible. Right. It's essentially so, how the New York Knicks are run with Phil Jackson doing nothing, probably not in New York right now, and just <laughs> leaving it up to everyone else. Sorry, Greg is a big Phil Jackson fan. I will. The Zen master. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Trouble. So 
just kind of going into this, like, what have you learned about yourself after this promotion to head coach? You know, is there certain things that, like, you didn't know about coaching or even yourself in general? Like, how has this been, you know, personally through the evolution from starting as an assistant coach to actually being one of the head coaches now? Exactly. Um, well, when I started off back in 2013, uh, I knew absolutely nothing about coaching. The only thing I knew about coaching was, you know, watching the coach on the sideline during games. That's it. That's always fun. Yeah, exactly. So you look at those guys, but then you're looking at the game. So you don't even notice them. So I knew absolutely nothing about coaching. But I did know that, you know, a good friend of mine in high school and public school was starting a basketball program. And, you know, he needed a little bit of help. And, like, I knew he was doing big things. I remember the day he brought me into a uh, – it was some Middle Eastern uh, shawarma spot. And he's like, yeah, I'm starting a basketball program. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's nice. You know, just brushing off yeah, the shoulder. Yeah, pipe dream, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a year later, he's like, oh, yeah, I had a team. And this year, I plan on having two teams, you know, just come to practice. And I was just like, uh, you know what? I don't really have anything else to do right now. I have free time. So yeah. let me you just come to game. practice. Love the game, you know. Uh, love, to, love to be around it. Now I just play in random leagues throughout the city. But, you know, it would be nice to, you know, see what's happening at the high school level. Mm -hmm. So came out to a practice, turned into two, turned into three. Next thing you know, I'm coaching some of these kids. And next thing you know, it was like, oh, I'm going to India for a week. So you got to coach. You got to run practice. Next thing you know, I'm running practice. Then we got games. Next thing you know, I'm I'm in games helping him out. Then he's like, oh, I'm coaching this team. Now you're doing that. And then I'm running uh, I'm coaching in games by myself. So, uh, I mean, you know, it's pretty much a matter of grabbing the bulls by the horn and going for it. You know, effing up while you're yeah, you know, getting doing a great it. opportunity and just taking you it. You know, losing by 60 points and then winning by 60 <laughs> points. So, so, so where it's do a good you see, feeling. Like, where do you want to take this, though, with coaching? Like, is it something you see yourself doing down the road, or is it just a really great opportunity in the immediate right now? Well, right now, I, I don't have an end game for this whole coaching thing. I do know that I've been a part of it for three plus years. And, you know, as much as it's been hard work and it's been straining and draining, and, you know, I've taken like 99% of my vacation time has went towards, you know, trips and that. Yeah. With the kids, right? With the kids, exactly. That's worth an applause right there. Hey. Sort of the sport doctor. Hey, thank you. Uh, <laughs> no, but like, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, with that being set aside, you know, there's no greater feeling than seeing these kids win a game or win a tournament and be so happy and, you know, see these kids go from, you know, not really being about anything besides basketball in high school to getting a scholarship and going on to play post-secondary basketball. and The growth. You know, exactly. So... That's always, you know, a humbling experience, and that always makes you, you know, you want to come back the next day. So you, you mentioned something really interesting earlier, and you mentioned that Adil Saibzada is currently uh, also working as a hall monitor at John Polanyi. You exactly. know, more or less as an opportunity to not only contribute to the high school itself, but also keep an eye on the kids. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like a, I wouldn't say it's a low-income community, but, you know, obviously it's not the most affluent high school out there. Exactly. You know, having a guy like a deal, like how does that impact the kids? Like having that sort of role model look up to every single day in practice, even yourself. You know yeah. what I mean? So I think uh, with myself and a deal, you know, when we talk, you know, one of the things that we talk about is how, you know, our team is like the closest a very close family knit team like when you look at other organizations or whatever like sometimes the coaches are like you know 35 40 right. you know we're getting up there but we're only 28 and we've but been doing it for four years well. exactly so like the age gap between us and the players is like not that high so like we can relate more on like uh yeah i've been through that yeah i know about the, i'm in the social media age you know yeah and, and when they ask me about careers when they ask me about you know certain things that are going on in their lives whether it be girls this that the third you know we can relate we can provide advice you know, we're coming back from, 
we did a, a two-tiered trip at the end of December. We went to Massachusetts for a showcase, and then we stopped off at in Vermont Academy where two guys from this uh, uh, Biosteel game are playing. So Simi Shitu and Christian David both play for Vermont Academy. So we stopped off at their school and played them in Vermont. And on the way back... So how did that game go, just out of curiosity? Um, so... That's we, a pretty big was game Was that one of those 60-point like... losses, or...? No, 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 no. That was <laughs> not that much. That was a thirty-point loss, but you know, it was a it was a close-knit game. And what I can say about that is, I'm gonna be full of excuses right now. We played five games in five days. We traveled from Scarborough to Mississauga, all the way to New England, back up. I, I think the through. question I have for you, though, were you resting any of your players? No, we weren't resting any of our players. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we weren't resting any of our players. I think uh, two of our players ended up being injured by the time uh, we got to Vermont, just from like you know, wear and tear, and, like, that was, like, the final leg of our 2016 uh, uh, schedule, and we had played, like, tournament every single weekend, and then that week, we played literally five games in five days, and, you know, guys were just beat up, so. But is that not, is that not part of the problem uh, with the AAU circuit, where there's been complaints that, that, you know, the high school season doesn't even matter anymore, right? It's all about that summer campaign. Exactly. And you got these camps set up by Nike and Adidas and the kids are playing like you say right multiple multiple games sometimes a day exactly for you know over a week span and their bodies are shot yeah right? Shabazz Napier exactly. has said that he has gone to bed hungry on several occasions playing for Connecticut yeah exactly so you know I think uh basketball never ends right now you know you got the prep season that runs from November to you know, our season finishes first week of April. We go to France, and we're playing in this under-23 tournament. That's so, awesome. Yeah, exactly. So this is our second year there. So our, our season finishes, like, our uh, the NPA Finals, the National Preparatory Association Championship schedule, is this weekend, right? And then we go to France from the 10th to the 19th, and then our season's done. But AAU season has already started. If I look at my schedule for AAU, yep. like, right here... And so you were just mentioning circuits, so the Adidas circuit, the Nike circuit. That's right, yeah. Um, so there's a new circuit that came out this year. So it's, it's growing. It doesn't stop. It's yeah. called the Powerade circuit. Oh, the Powerade oh. circuit. The Powerade so, circuit. Okay, so what's that? Pepsi or Coca-Cola wanting to get in on that? So Powerade is Coke. Okay. Well, I know it's Coca-Cola in Canada. I'm not sure what it is in uh, America. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm more of an all-sport kind of guy, but continue. <laughs> yeah, so we're in this Powerade circuit, um, and we got offered a position in it. In it. In it. And pretty much our first Powerade circuit game is... He's got the schedule out and everything. It's April pretty impressive. April 21 to the 23rd. His schedule in Washington, is impressive. In Washington, D.C. In Washington, D.C. Yeah. And then from... So put it like this. We go to France on the 10th, come back on the 19th. On the 21st, we're in Washington for the Powerade circuit. And that's from the 21st to the 23rd. And then a few days later... So we come back to Toronto after we go to Washington that Sunday. And then on the Friday of that week, we head out to Indianapolis for the, the second session of Powerade. And that's from the 28th to the... But that's 30th. intense, right? That's an intense um, circuit of basketball, right? Well, we'll find out because this is the inaugural one. But mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, for sure. Mm-hmm. Is there Are there any regulations? Is anybody sort of looking at, at all this and saying, okay, are we pushing these young people too far? When are they getting their off time? Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, and to skip ahead a little bit, I guess, you've heard about George Carl and his comments, AAU babies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because when I see this, right, like these kids are, are are commodified and so young. It's like that's the number one level talent. Right. And you got these kids coming up 
you know, it's like, try telling a kid who's been told he's the man since 15 to pass the ball. Yeah. Right? And that and that's something that the grateful Jackson actually said, Brandon. No, that's, right? actually, that's actually and, a really good point, though, because, you know, we were talking about John Calipari earlier, and, you know, like on... His one-and-done boys? Yeah, but on the top, though, but you brought up a very great point in the fact that you're getting these elite players who think they are the man, and they're walking to Kentucky thinking they're going to be... Like, Devin Booker was off the bench last year, the year he got drafted. You know what I mean? Do you think Calipari, like a coach like Calipari, for example, you know, conditions these players to deal with actual pragmatic basketball? And what I'm trying to get at is that they're passing the ball. They're actually looking at the game as a whole and trying to find value within themselves instead well, of being Well, maybe we should direct that to our guest here. So, I mean, I've said on more than one occasion, you know, American basketball is very superstar-driven. It's very I find it very individualistic at times. Mm-hmm. Like, if you watch America play against other countries, yep. the ball movement isn't the same. Now, look, I mean, you win games, you win games. but Off talent, yeah. But not I, off. I imagine, though, the AAU circuit being very much about... It's about my name, right? I need to showcase myself because exactly. ultimately that's what it is. It's not like you're playing for a community or... I mean, depending on where you're... Exactly. Coming from. So when I look at AAU basketball, right, why are guys playing? Why are guys in this league? Are they in it because, hey, I love basketball, I want to play? Sure. But ultimately, they're there to get a scholarship, mm-hmm. right? So when you step into a gym, guys are, the first thing they're saying is, you know, for my kids, you know, oh, oh, I seen this coach here, I seen that coach there, this coach goes to that, this coach is from that school, that coach is from that school. And ultimately, these kids, they want to play in the States on a D1 scholarship, and how many coaches are in the gym means a lot to them. Mm-hmm. So when you say, you know, it's very individualistic, it's like, okay, well, now is my opportunity to show my yeah, skills. Yeah. Let, me, let me show you how many three balls I can hit this quarter or this game. Let me show you how I, you know, can... I don't want to say rebound because that's not like a, a highlight skill, but like yeah, let me no. show you like these these moves I got, whatever, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. right? Trying to showcase their talents to these coaches that are in the gym, right? So when coaches aren't in the gym, you know, guys kind of are down, but that's why it's great to have, you know, guys like I'm not trying to impure ego or anything like that, but you hype know, it great, up, hype it up. It's great to have guys like a deal and and yourself, you know, to be there that you know coach not only to win games, yeah, but care beyond the actual but game. Give a exactly. shit about exactly. the young man. Exactly. And and the one thing I can say is that, you know, from the AAU circuit to the prep circuit, it's completely different in terms of structure. So our prep team that we run, we practice Monday to Friday, 4.30 to 6 p.m. every day. Mm-hmm. And then we also have training sessions um, during lunch. So it would be like whether it's working out or whether it's uh, shooting in the gym, just getting shots up. Yep. Um, so some weeks there'd be 10 practices a week, right? And when I look at the sets that we have, um, just from like the the core sets and the different variations from that, it's over forty sets, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's very it's very intense, it's very dynamic, it's very. But that's uh, what it takes. Exactly, to and produce that's an elite program. Exactly, and that's and that's just the prep. When it comes to AAU, it's run and gun. It's head man the ball, pass the ball up forward, attack the rim, kick it out, shot, run back on defense. And if you don't have a good strong defense, you just zone up. And so are people it, playing D. And that's the thing, right? Are they playing defense or are they just playing zone? So when you're in the yeah, zone, you're not really yeah, yeah. playing defense. You're not showcasing your, your talents, right? You're, you're not seeing uh, your on-ball defense or your off-ball defense, how you're able to adjust from screens, hedges, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. all these different... Your fitness level. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, you know, and, I, and the AAU, uh, there's a lot of zone, I find. 
So, and we'll zone up every now and then, but it's not like one of our main defensive There's strategies. No respons- with man to man, you got an individual responsibility. Exactly, exactly. Right? So it's, a, it's the hard work element. So there's team defense, but most importantly, it's guard your men. The help will be there if you need it. Yeah. And play off of that. So we got ourselves a legit basketball mind here, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, thank well, God. Thank you, I, thank if you. there are any ladies out there listening to this, there will be. At which point, hey, how come there's no <laughs> girls' biosteel game? So uh, with the whole OSBA, so the the same guys, you know, who run uh, Athlete Institute, Orangeville, BioSteel, uh-huh. um, all the same guys who did that and the OSBA, um, they had their inaugural uh, season for the ladies this year. Okay. So, so the ladies is starting up. It's starting up, but still no exactly no just like every other game yet. Exactly. So just like every other you know sports thing out there, you know the ladies are follow up. So yeah, yeah. There might be an all star game for them. Um, I'm not too sure. I guess they would have posted the names if there was an all-star game for them. but I haven't heard anything about it. Yeah, neither have I. So maybe next year? Next year. Never know. I'll ask you guys a question quickly. And it's going to be our last uh, thing, I guess, on the BioSteel game itself. What's the point of having a three-point competition? What's the point of having a slam dunk competition prior to the actual game itself? Like, how, how is this benefiting the kids? Or is this more of an, a cash grab, an opportunity to brand Canadian basketball and creating this, like, big spectacle comparable to the McDonald's high school game and stuff? So... I think that is what they're trying to do. They're trying to compare it to that, like the Canadian version to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, they're following the footsteps of the NBA, right? right? So on All-Star Weekend, you have the three-point competition, you have the dunk-off, uh, and then you have the All-Star game. So it's the same, it's same, same model. Kids, also, same wait, model. hold on. This event is going on just before the game? No, it's the day before. The, the day before. Well, I mean, but me also as a, as a fan, right, because we're going to go to the game, I wouldn't mind seeing that competition because then when the game starts – I'll know who to look for. Like you don't exactly. Think that, it showcases right? individual skills, right? Yeah. So. No, no, I, I just, random question. Sorry, we're going to little pivot from there. Javon, thank you very, 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 very much for talking to us about that. And we're going to do a little uh, no problem, talk, Gregory. No so problem. So, Raptors, bro. tough loss last night to the Charlotte Hornets. Um, but generally speaking, the organization has looked fantastic, especially in lieu of Kyle Lowry's injury. Seven and three within the last ten game behind the Washington Wizards, three games behind the Cleveland Cavaliers for first place. Do you think we can win the Eastern Conference? I'm going to ask both of you that question. Gregory, do you mind starting? Are you asking me if I think we can win the Eastern Conference? And the other question I want you to relate, though, is you got to look at the hierarchy of the Eastern Conference. Would it be better for us to play I'm a all team about like hierarchies. Atlanta? Would it be better to play Milwaukee? Or would it be kind of cumbersome to play a really hot team like, no pun intended, the Miami Heat? <laughs> uh, okay, so first, just to get some clarity, are you asking me if I think we can win the Eastern Conference, like win in the Eastern Conference Finals, Should or are you asking me are we going to finish the top? Should we go from the number one seed? In, like considering, I, I personally like, don't think that without Lowry we'll get to the number one spot. Okay. Um, I think we're right in the mix though. The loss the other day to Charlotte hurt because we, I mean, every game at this point matters. Uh, that being said, I think Charlotte beat us because they were more desperate than we were I think that I, I mean I was listening to the Charlotte broadcast because I didn't get the game mm-hmm. as per usual uh, and it was actually really really interesting as I was streaming it listening to the commentators Del Curry uh, and his, and his uh, colleagues there talk about how you know this is it they gotta start winning now this is their game <laughs> or else they're gonna miss the playoffs and you know lo and behold there goes Kemba Walker he goes off in the fourth quarter we thought we had them. I think we turned down our energy level a little bit, and they were able to sneak one out on us. 
Jovan, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I didn't watch the game, but I was listening to a interview with Bob McCowan and the coach uh, today. And one of the things that he had mentioned was how they were making great shots. Like, the defense was really good in the fourth quarter. Kemba. It could have it been better, um, but he was saying how Corey Joseph was actually draped all over Kemba Walker. He was Kemba hounding Walker. him, hounding him. And if he got any closer, it would have been a foul. Yep. So, with that being said, you know, they're in a, a moment of desperation where mm-hmm. they everything matters. So, you know, as much as those are great shots, those are desperate shots. Mm-hmm. He had to knock those down, right? Every shot counts for them right now. Every shot doesn't count for us in the sense that, hey, if we lose today, if we lose tomorrow, we're still in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If we lose the rest of our games, we're still in the playoffs because mm-hmm. we're already four games above 500, and these guys are itching to get to 500. So Four games? We're f- how many games above 500 Sorry about we? that. We're uh, 15 games above 500. That's four games, but we're about four off the pace. So what, what I meant to say was we're f- if we lose the rest of our games, we'd, we'd still, still be four, be four, four games, games yeah, above 500. Okay, that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're not in a position of desperation in terms of trying to put ourselves in a great position to advance as far as possible through the NBA fi- uh, uh, playoffs. I would say that, you know, we could win the, we could win the Eastern Conference until we can't win it. So until and, and we're, what do you we're mean el- by that? So until we're eliminated uh, mathematically – until, you know, uh, there's no games left where the math says that we can't be in first place, I think we have a, have a standing chance, chance to, to win. So, I just I just see us offensively. I mean, I know we had a big offensive explosion against Orlando, but, I mean, we can't do that against yeah. Orlando. I just see us as um, not having enough offensive firepower without Lowry because you're going to have games where you're going to go cold. The defensive energy isn't going to be there. I see us finishing the off the year. The Rosen can drop 40 a game and keep us so float, right? Yeah, so happen. I think ultimately, um, the shots aren't always going to fall, but the defense always has to be there. So Dwayne, K- Dwayne Casey always preaches defense, defense, defense. Um, the defense has to be there regardless. Um, to say that, you know, uh, Charlotte hit some desperation shots yesterday, it still doesn't account for the fact that they put up 44 points in, this, in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And the defense should have been better. Um, you know, there's a, a few miscommunications on screens, something along those lines. Um, we got to clean that up. It's the end of the year. These guys have played almost 70 games so far. Um, it's unacceptable, you know. So I want to. You just mentioned something already. They they played a, s- several games, seventy plus games already, seventy five games. We had a conversation last week about resting policy in the NBA. Resting players, yeah. resting mm-hmm. players. Would mm-hmm. it make sense just to kind of keep the same length of the season? Let's say four, five, six months, whatever it is, but have fifty four games, two, three games a week. Give them the opportunity to sit their players. The games are more important. The matchups are more important. You're talking about reducing the amount of games. The number in the of NBA. games. So would that be a way to correct the resting policy in the NBA? I, I I don't think that's necessary. I think that would screw up a lot of records and that kind of thing yeah, moving yeah. forward. Um, you know what, for, the, for the historians. For the historians. Point. Yeah. yeah uh, maybe just extend the season a bit. Or I was going to say the, the same thing. Or reduce the all-star break. Mm-hmm. Or no, don't have these guys travel to play games in, in England. Exactly. Right? Or make the schedule a little more accommodating. Maybe you don't play Golden State twice a year. Maybe you only play Golden State once a year. Or maybe you, you don't play. Come on. Okay, so I hate that. I hate that conversation when they do it in baseball. complain about traveling. We are in the year 2017 where every single organization has a chartered jet to take them to any location. They're sleeping on the plane. They're being served A-plus Michelin star level food. This isn't 
isn't like the 1950s where Bill Russell is folded behind the in the goddamn bus traveling miles overnight. Yeah, now we have rights oh in a way that... <laughs> The, the, this isn't about race or anything. This is like not about right. This is about this. No, we, they but, have uh, fucking airplanes no, to take I, these players I, to these locations. I I agree that uh, they're quite pampered and they have all these perks. But if the athletes and the players union are coming out and saying, "Look, here's scientific studies that show that we're being overworked," put it and, like this, and we're it's increasing our risk of injury. And and I know you know the char chartered jets and, and all that stuff. I would imagine it to be grinding. Playing 81 games and traveling it. Oh, boohoo! I get to sleep in a fucking charter jet. I guarantee you, the seat they're sitting in overnight is better than. But my then, if bed. you want these guys <laughs> to have spry bodies that are not going to get injured, you can't. Right? You have to understand that by putting someone on a plane, on on a red eye jet plane, and having them sit for five, six hours, and then they get into the hotel room, they go to sleep, they get up, and then they got to play a noon game or whatever, you're increasing the risk of injury, and the bodies aren't going to be working the same way. Yeah, I think the issue is, you know, when you have uh, those stretches in the schedule where it's four games and five nights. Yeah. Four games, like, yeah. four cities, five days. Well, we where you play, you travel, you hop back on the plane, uh, travel, play, and the same thing for four days. I think that's what's really taking the toll on the players. And when you look at... Uh, situations like that in the schedule that's ultimately when coaches are deciding okay now i'm going to rest my player i'm not going to play them in the, in the first head first half of the back-to-back -back. i'll play them in the second half or they'll do mm. it in a way that benefits mm. that specific team so i think you know when you're talking about resting players i think ultimately you just have to look at you know is there a way to split up those back-to-backs where like maybe there's a, a day between and you extend this the, the season by a week or you started a week earlier. You know, in total, you just add two weeks to the schedule to eliminate those back-to-backs. Because I think yeah. ultimately, you know, when you do that, you know, you cure a lot of demons. No, for sure. There's a ton of options for the NBA to deal with, you know, the long travel, the entire, the long season itself, and actually resting the players. So we're going to end this podcast on a little segment we promised you from last week. All five of us have actually prepared, including Javon, all five of us, all three of us, uh -oh. rather, have prepared a little list of our favorite Raptors of all time. Typically, these go from five, four, three to the number one, but I think we're all on the same page for number one. So I think we're going to start it off with myself. Number one, greatest Raptor of all time. Wait, are we starting? Hold on. We're starting at one. Well, that's not much for suspense. Okay, well, I think this Why is not start at five? Because we all have the same first. No, 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 we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. You, you don't haven't know seen what's my, on list. my list. All right, fine. Yeah. All right. We're starting at number five, and number five for me. Right. My favorite Raptor of all time, and this is a little uh, fork in the road right here, but I'm going to say Rudy Gay because Rudy Gay <laughs> was a single reason why we're a competent team right now. The trade of Rudy Gay made us the organization we are right now. If Rudy Gay didn't get traded, Kyle Lowry and Jamal. DeRozan wouldn't be the players they are right now. Gregory Talk. That's actually a really good point. It is a good um, point. I didn't think of it like that. Yeah, that's I didn't look at this player as great for the Raptors because of the trade bait or the trade chip that he was. Ta-da! Yeah, that's so, a fantastic and logical and rational but did, reason. I don't think it was Kyle Lowry that you should be worried about with that trade. I think it's actually... Patrick Patterson was the key piece in that trade that made us who we are. Well, we got, Getting we got that glue guy. Grievous Vasquez, Patrick Patterson, and uh, your boy Hayes. Chuck. Chuck. <laughs> oh, Chuck Hayes. Oh, man. Oh, man. Now i got to change my list knowing that ooh, Chuck. Okay, hold on. Ooh. So, all right. My number five all time. And these are our favorite Raptors. Yeah. Okay. Not the greatest because that's another list. Number five for me, 
Muggsy Bogues. Wow. I enjoyed watching Muggsy Bogues Someone play the game of basketball. Space Jam as a child. <laughs> I once saw Muggsy Bogues go through the legs of George Murasan on, at the time, they were the Washington Bullets. Wow. And I thought it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. So this is an actual live game. And yeah, like, he, he went through. He didn't dribble the ball through his legs, but like he fell and he like went through his legs. Oh, wow. Or maybe I'm just Got up, continued dribbling. Maybe I imagined that. But just watching him physically play the game against these monster guys and finding a way to be effective. No turnovers. That guy never turned the ball over. Do you know what that reminds me of? The time when Baron Davis literally jumped over Steve Nash. Do you remember that dunk? Baron, Not Baron Davis. Ricky Davis. Ricky oh Davis. God, Ricky Davis. Forgot about him. No, I, I, I don't remember that highlight. Ugh. But I wouldn't be surprised. That guy was a wild guy. Javon, who do you got at five? Who do I got at five? Mo Pete for three. Mo Pete. <laughs> oh, Mo. That was my guy. Back in the day, I could always count on Mo Pete. You know, he's always spotted. He was like the first Raptor who he held the record for three-pointers uh, until recently, I believe, when Kyle Lowry beat it. Yeah, but he's he's an all-time great Raptor. Yeah, Mo exactly. Pete. There's no doubt. Yeah, no. The, I mean, the, there's not a lot to be said about him. You know, he was a he was a staple in Toronto Raptor history for about five, six years. Drafted by the Raptors, played mm-hmm. for the Raptors. He was there in the glory years, was there in the decline. Three um, and D before it was cool. Exactly. So, you know, Mo P was a, he was a he was a big part of my childhood. So it's probably why I have him at number five on my list of favorite Raptors. Big shout out to Mo Pete. Mo uh, Pete. Rolling down to four for myself, uh, it, it has to be Antonio Davis. I'm, I'm going number four, Antonio Davis. And the reason why, he may not have been the most skilled guy in the court, but he was like the enforcer. And in the generation of that team where we had the softest mans of all time and Vince Carter, you know, getting a guy like Antonio Davis on the court and just and like having that physical stability as well as his, you know, his skill set, his rebounding, I, 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 he was an all-star. I just, I, I, I love watching that guy play. Like, I feel like someone's teeth was going to get smashed every single time that guy walked on the court. Oh, I thought you were going to say Charles Oakley for a second. Because you should have said him if you're talking about enforcer. Yeah, but Charles Oakley, it was like the half cadaver of Charles Oakley after he left the New York Knicks. Like, Antonio yeah, Davis so. kind of filled that role. It's more or less like Oakley did on the Knicks. Agreed. My number four pick is Doug Christie. Ooh, yeah. Dougie! The man. The, the, the celebrity TV star. No, I, I, I just loved the way that he played basketball. Mm-hmm. Steals. Just a complete player. Dude, smart, was, smart basketball player. That was player. My, one of my favorite teams of all time. Like the, the early Sacramento 2000, Kings? Like the Mike Bibby, Doug Christie, Peter Stoyakovich, oh, Vladi Diva, but he Chris would Weber, be, And Bobby that's Jackson. right. Like He would fit on a team like yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Right? Do a little bit of everything. Yep. No, you can't go wrong with that pick. Javon, what do you got at four, buddy? Uh, my number four pick is Kyle Lowry. Ooh, pretty Kyle low Lowry. on the uh, chart, eh? Yeah, I can't put him up that high. Like, how long has he been playing for us for now? Three, mm, four years? Good point. Um, and ultimately, you know, his future is in doubt this upcoming offseason. You don't know what he's going to do. You know, in my opinion, you know, Kyle Lowry has meant a lot for us in the past three years. But the players that I have on my list have meant a lot to us for a lot longer. So... You know, I love Kyle Lowry. I love what he brought for the Raptors. I love what he's doing now. I love the fact that, you know, he doesn't have to be at every single game. He doesn't have to be sitting sideline helping guys out. But he is, uh, which is really good. Um, But ultimately, you know, he's going to jump on my list if he stays with the Raptors past this season. If he doesn't, he might drop. He might stay at number four. Um, But, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Rolling to number three. Um, This guy is actually on my least favorite Raptors list as well, and his name is Vince Carter. 
Um, I don't need to talk ad nauseum <laughs> about this. Uh, the guy gave up on the organization. Uh, we traded him for next to nothing. He Alonzo Mourning, who barely played. A couple Williams guys. We who had just to were buy out Alonzo garbage. Mourning's contract. Ex- exactly, exactly. Lost money in the Vince Carter. Trip. Okay, let's talk about some good we things. We can't ignore the fact. We can't ignore the fact that Vince Carter, during his prime time, brought attention to Toronto basketball. Who before like, Drake he, did? uh, he lit it up in that game. He did. He was the reason why they won. Well, it was a team effort, but he went off. He I wasn't also missing. Love him because like he's got caught multiple times trying to like smuggle like a little quantity of weed over the goddamn border. Good for airport. him. Like the guy is just God, that. That's a badass move. It should be legal, <laughs> oh, man. All right, Javon, what do you he's got, a, buddy? He's a future guy. What do we got? Number three. Number three. Demar Derozan. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. My dog. Knocking them down a peg. Why number three? Why number three, DeMar DeRozan? Because DeMar DeRozan has the next four years to prove why he's number one. But right he now, he's number three. Proved it. Nah. Look at the success of the nah. organization. What has Vince Carter done? What has Vince Carter done that DeMar well, DeRozan hasn't accomplished? How do you know Jesus that Vince Carter's Christ. on his list? Let's talk about DeMar DeRozan. I'm, uh, I, I this, this, this is I, not about Vince. This is not about right Vince Carter. Right now, that Javon is that Vince Carter is on okay, Javon's list. Okay. Sorry, All Javon, right. continue. Well, you'd be very bad at he, poker, but uh, no, DeMar DeRozan, you know, got drafted by the Raptors. Um, you know, has improved every single year he's been with us. Um, continues to improve. Um, adds different elements to his game. You know, his idol is Kobe, so it's probably a reason for that. Um, and you know, when he went to the free agent market last year, he said, I don't even want to hear any offers. I'm a Toronto Raptor. I am Toronto. And he signed that contract. So what So, so what else could... I mean, he's having the best season, argu- well, arguably, of all time. Of his career, team, yep. No, in Raptors history. You think say. so? It, statistically, it's with Vince, uh, the 2001 Vince Carter season. Exactly. They were averaging the same points, similar assists and rebounds. Uh, the difference is that this team, they say, might be better. Yeah, no, um, for sure. I don't think the hype is the same because Vince back then it was just insanity. Exactly. But, um, yeah, uh, why not? So my question to, to you then is why is he not higher up? Because Maybe it's the other you know, guys who got on that list. With me, it's like it's a matter of – like I like looking back and I, I have see. like nostalgia. Right? So see. this is like my personal favorite. Oh, we're talking about so, our favorite Raptors. Right? So so okay. it, it goes in turn with it goes in, in tune with, you know, how I feel and you yep. know what I place yep. a lot of uh, yep. value in and you know like those guys were with me when I was a kid and those memories are with me for the rest of my life. The memories I have with De- DeMar DeRozan, you know, they're good, but they're still new. They haven't had a chance to, you know, uh ferment in my brain and uh mm-hmm. and 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 uh you know gain that 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 taste for sure but ultimately demar Derozan has the next four years to move his way up same with kyle lowry we'll see what he does and if they win a chip he'll probably be in my number one right away okay so okay. sorry going to number two now uh personally i have demar Derozan. um i don't want to talk about this in detail because we always had a massive conversation about it but i just love the fact that a guy like demar Derozan can exist in the nba 
Like his skill set is so like off the cuff. Like it's so different than what a typical two guard is in the NBA. But he's carved a niche as like a spot up two point shooter. Like just his his game doesn't make any sense, but it works. And that's one of the reasons why I just love Demar Derozan. Uh, roll into number two, Gregory. I'm gonna go with Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry. Uh, it's a boring pick, but also I mean, look, I watched a lot of losing basketball. Uh, I appreciate. Uh, the improve the improvement that he's made both on and off the court. I mean, the issue with Lowry was always that he was a head case and you know he was uncoachable. I think I heard a story where he he, he talked to Chauncey Billups uh, about what he should do uh, when he was in Toronto. Should he stay? And Billups said, you know what, make it like Detroit was for me. It could be right. You don't have to go to the Lakers. You don't have to go to a big franchise. Make a home there. And he's done that so far. I mean, watch watching his game grow. Like I didn't, I didn't think that he could reach the heights that he's reached. Yeah, I really didn't. I didn't think he had this three point shot in him. Yeah, I, right. Uh, his toughness, the way that he plays the game, just a lot of respect for it. Uh, you know, I almost took him off though as you were talking because yeah, if he doesn't stay, if he is the reason why that doesn't work, like if he's demanding too much, or if he's not willing to stay. He'll so quickly go off my list. Oh, for sure. So th- th- this is so he's number two with the idea that he will stay. Javon, what do you got at number two, my friend? Number two? Yep. I got JYD, the junkyard dog. Okay, JYD, my I like guy. that pick. The rich man's Rose Rosen in Javon's. Uh, That's my guy. <laughs> like, what can I say? He resembles me so much. You know, I was never the greatest scorer. I was never, you know, the most flashiest guy. I was quick. I was a guard. Javon he was, was a like Tyrone Lou. As a basketball player, that's what he was. Scrappy you know, looks young. looks wise, but when it comes to game, you know, I can't really say, you know, I, was, uh, uh, I wasn't I was a knockdown shooter. I was quick. I could get to the paint. But just in terms of, you know, I always wanted to be that guy that, you know, played hard defense, mm-hmm. went for the loose balls, you know, box guys out, grab rebounds, dove for balls, you know, did, did the little things that mm-hmm. guys weren't mm-hmm. willing to do or guys... Uh, you know, would look above or, you know, not place that much emphasis on. And that's what JYD was. JYD was that guy. He was a scrappy guy. Junkyard dog, you know, Jerome Williams. JYD. You know, and to this day, he's still in the community. He does his charity work. Um, he always makes cameos all over. So good, good for him. You know, he's all around, and I think he was with us for two, three years. He's a Cardinal official of Toronto basketball. I have no idea what that means. Going to number one. Yeah, number great, one for man. me right now is the aforementioned Kyle Lowry. You know, listen, I'm a homer, and I will always be a homer with the Raptors, and I think Kyle Lowry replicates, like, like the like the lack of respect that Toronto Raptors get. People, like, uh, people in the past, you know, uh, have this constant conversation about the best point guard in the NBA, the best point guard in the Eastern Conference, guys like John Wall, Kyrie Irving, even Goran Dragic, you know, Rojan Rondo, he's on the Boston Celtics in his prime. No one talks about Kyle Lowry, and no one talks about the Toronto Raptors. That's why I have Kyle Lowry, because he's a definition of the underdog, and the Raptors have the definition of the underdog, and Kyle Lowry, in my opinion, still doesn't get the respect he deserves. I think what you were talking about when it comes to physicality, being a well-rounded basketball player, and being a goddamn leader as well. That's mm-hmm. what I see in Kyle Lowry, and I just honestly feel that he just emulates the aura, the essence of what Toronto basketball stands for. You know what, Brandon? With that augmented explanation there, I'm going to change my ordering. I think that Can't Lowry that. is Can't my favorite Raptor of all time. I, I had to look. I'm going to give this away. I think DeRozan's the 
he's going to be the greatest Raptor of all time, I think, by the time he's done. I think he already is, actually. Uh, so I just intuitively put DeRozan as number one. My reasoning, again, for that is he's drafted in Toronto, right? So he's, and you're, you know, the whole loyalty thing, that's huge. Um, a superstar or a star that's willing to wants to stay in Toronto. He's been here through the losing, and he stayed here. I respect the hell out of that. I love that his wife is at the game screaming her head off besides Superfan. That being said, in terms of what I'm thinking about favorite, who I enjoy watching play, it's got to be Lowry because the guy has just so much heart. Yeah. So, you know, Brandon, I think you're on today teaching the sport doc a thing or two. <laughs> uh, uh, Lowry's going to be my favorite D and and and. Damar is my second. Cool. What a number one, Javon. Am I going to lose a shoe tonight? <laughs> Way to make the sport dog change his positions. Uh, yeah. Shoe. Yeah, no, nah, you're going to keep a shoe. <laughs> my dog. Vince Sanity. <laughs> Air Canada. Half man, half amazing. Half doesn't give Vince a Carter. <laughs> Listen, all I can say is that he jumped over a seven-footer and almost punched Kevin Grant in the face after. And that's some great shit. I rewind that, was that not clip. not in a Raptors uniform. It was Frederick Weiss as well. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care he's because a few favorite. months... He's, he's my guy. He played... He represented the Raptors even though he wore the American jersey. I don't care. Yeah. You know the moment you just want to smash your face on the switch. If it wasn't for Vince Carter, you would not be seeing half... 99.9% .9 of these Canadians in the NBA right now. You would not see them. And if you didn't see them, you would not see Canada basketball where it is today. So you guys can look at... Uh, Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan and say, look, these guys are great Raptors and they're doing this. But when I look at Vince Carter... He's a trailblazer to mediocrity. He, 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 inspired, he inspired a nation. He, to he, not watch basketball. He made it so that, you know what? The Raptors didn't have the same fate as Vancouver. He made it so that Toronto mm. was, you know what? Toronto was here to stay and the guys, the little kids had someone to look up to. Because when I was in high school, I wasn't looking at Michael, or sorry, when I was in public school, I wasn't looking at Michael Jordan. I wasn't looking at Grant Hill. I wasn't looking at all these next guys. No, Vince Carter was my dog. I wanted the VC1s, the VC2s, the VC3s, and I wanted the Grand Jersey. Still and I got in the NBA. Guys, inspiring Memphis. Guys, yep. thank you very, very much. Uh, sorry we went a little bit longer than usual. We'll be back next week with a litany of different topics. Uh, we got another top five list we're going to bring up. Uh, Gregor, do you want to talk about that for a bit, buddy? We're going to reverse it. We're going top five worst Raptors. Vince Carter will be on my list of just all to let time. You know. Guys, thank Wait, you, thank you very much. Uh, With that, have a fantastic evening. Thanks.